Hello there, space fans and Supercluster listeners. This is Robin, Chief of Content. We have a special guest in the house today, and by in the house, I mean virtual. We have Sarafina Nance, a PhD student at UC Berkeley, studying astrophysics, uh, which is one of our favorite topics here. She is focusing on supernovae, which is, that's the first time I've said that word ever, and cosmology, which is also a topic that we love here at Supercluster. Hey, Serafina. Hey, how's it going? I am learning new words today because of you. <laughs> You're um, doing great. It is, it is not supernovas. It is supernovae. That is yeah. the plural of supernova. It's, it's understandably like counterintuitive, but yes, you nailed it. I am learning a new thing every day, and that's why I love having scientists on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, Serafina, you're a newly minted analog astronaut, which we will get into in a little bit. And you are the author of a new children's book. Want to give us the title of that children's book? Yeah, it's called Little Leonardo's Fascinating World of Astronomy. That sounds something like I would have went to the book fair in elementary <laughs> school and then spent my parents' money on that. A hundred percent. Yes, that is so flattering. Best compliment you would have given me. Thank you. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, you're, I think we have a couple of mutual friends. So I see, I see your content. I've seen your YouTube channel. And I'm really fascinated by your story. And I think one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show was to talk about your children's book. So let's do that first, because I think at Supercluster, we're always trying to create new space fans. We're always mm-hmm. trying to communicate space to an audience that isn't accustomed to it and really is being introduced to it. So I wanted to start with this book. And of course, we're going to talk about your career and, and your story. But I wanted to start with this book because one, we want you to sell books. <laughs> Two, we want to know what your motivation was behind this book. Yeah, I appreciate that. and. I think the story of this book is sort of intrinsic to my story as an astrophysicist, as a woman in astronomy, as a woman of color in astronomy. They're all intertwined. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head saying this is the book you would have run to the book fair to pick up. Absolutely. That is, yes. That was exactly my motivation in writing this book. And the the big thing that stood out to me when i was you know conceptualizing the book idea is what would i have wanted when i was you know say 5 years old mm-hmm. and i was stargazing and i was in love with the night sky even then already but i didn't have a lot of books to read or look at um at the time that uh reinforced my love for the night sky in any representative way meaning most of the books depicted if they had protagonists they depicted men and many of them didn't depict people of color and so you I could wanted- say all we know it wasn't it was all we know <laughs> no bullshit here it was none of those books <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's, it's hard to speak unilaterally, but that's yeah. exactly right. It, yeah. yeah. You know, there were there were no books that I at least I found. That. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That 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 shared that perspective and that representation. Right. And mm-hmm. I had to go through a lot to reach this stage of my career. And I'm still an early career scientist. And I really wish that I had had that growing up. And so my goal 
was to create that for the future generations of kids and, you know, people who are wanting to pursue their dreams, whether it's astronomy, amazing, let's talk about that, you know, whether it's engineering or paleontology or whatever it is, you know, finding material that has representation is so important to me. And I wanted to create that. Visibility is such a big part of bringing new talent into an industry or a field. And I think that making sure that those minority voices are up front in order to change that Yes. You know, that idea of a minority in science. Right. I think it's really important. And starting at a younger age is, is crucial, I think. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, there's so much social conditioning and social stereotyping that starts at a very young age. Right. I was, I think I was in fifth grade when I had an astronomer tell me, you know, you're not cut out for astronomy. This is not for you. Right. And, you know, that sticks with you and Mm -hmm. it is reiterated over and over. And so to create something that has a completely different messaging that says, you know, spaces should be for everyone and getting people excited about that, seeing themselves, you know, I had someone reach out to me and said, you know, my, my daughter is Egyptian and we bought your book and she is so excited to see herself in these pages. And it just brought tears to my eyes because I I know that I would have given anything for that. And I'm so excited to give that to young people right now. So let's talk about the book itself and the content. What without spoiling it, what is <laughs> what is your book about and why did you choose that particular plot or story? Yeah, so the book is actually really it's part of this really cool series based on It's based on Leonardo da Vinci, but as a young kid, so it's little Mm -hmm. Leonardo. But they have different books based on different subject matters that are all pretty technical. So there is an entire book based on paleontology, an entire book on engineering. And it distills those technical fields into the most, in in my eyes, the most exciting, you know, riveting, cool facts about those fields to get kids excited. So for me, it was actually interesting. People ask me, oh, was it hard to, you know, you're in a technical field, you work in pretty difficult, complex research all day. Was it difficult to translate that to, you know, what a five-year-old could understand? And actually, my answer is no, because the way that I wrote that book is Mm -hmm. exactly the way that I think about things, you know? I think about astronomy and I think, okay, what are the most exciting things about astronomy? What am I most interested in? And what would I want to learn about when I was five years old? And that's- Didn't, uh, Wasn't it Einstein <laughs> that said that if you couldn't explain it to a kid, then you don't understand it? Yeah, it's, I, right. <laughs> exactly. It's that exact, exact idea. And I think that's part of why I got into science communication. That's part of why I became, you know, active on Twitter was right. to- write about and explain things that I find really cool and interesting. And turns out if I can't explain them, then I don't understand them. And that is what the book sort of encapsulates. It's the most exotic, riveting, fascinating concepts and ideas about our universe and the objects within it, coupled with the representation that goes alongside it. That's really exciting. And I think that's what's really needed right now because kids have access to technology. They're glued to iPads. They have phones. 
and mm-hmm. they're aware they're aware of the world. They are knowing that NASA's doing amazing stuff in space and right. uh, there's all these breakthroughs happening and they are curious about these larger, bigger topics that mm-hmm. you wouldn't think a kid would be interested in. And yes. I think delivering information to them, I think they'll really consume it. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I know that if I learned about, you know, I remember to this day, the exact moment I learned about dark matter and dark energy. And I was I was in high school, I was in 11th grade, I was taking my very first astrophysics class. And I remember just being absolutely dumbfounded, just yeah. truly mind blown. You have like, when you first learn about astronomy, I, I had this moment when I was a kid too. You do have an existential crisis for a yes. little bit. A hundred percent. A good one though. A really yes. good one. Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> I, I, I remember, you know, I, I used to stargaze with my dad all the time. And during those nights when we'd look up and I remember having the conversation of him with him asking, you know, where did this all come from? Right. What, how big is it? You know, how will it end? And uh, yeah, That's a five-year-old, That's I dark. know, That's dark. <laughs> it, gets, it gets pretty dark pretty fast. Um, <laughs> but, but those are those are questions that anyone of any age can answer or could, can ask, excuse me, right. can right. ask and, and, and think about. And I think it's cool to equip kids with the tools to start thinking about those questions and start wondering how to answer them and ignite curiosity. I think that's that's so powerful. Now, I know there's a lot of parents listening to this episode. Where can folks order your book today? Yeah, it's available anywhere books are sold. Mm. I think some places are sold out, which is really good. That's amazing. Um, also- yeah, space stuff. Come on, space is awesome. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, my personal favorite is bookshop.org. Mm-hmm. They link you with independent bookstores all over the country if That's you're in the really U.S. Great. So yeah, supporting uh, independent bookstores is definitely my vibe. And but yeah, it's it's available anywhere. That's amazing. I'm gonna pick up a couple copies because I got Aww. a couple of five year olds in our family, our extended family, and I don't have a thing to give the little ones. And <laughs> like, I have a photo of the Falcon Nine here. Yes. Enjoy it. Um, but I will be picking up your book. The well, last few you. books I bought for children were our mutual friend, Emily Calandrelli. Mm-hmm. She has a great book series. Uh, yeah. Ada Lovelace. Um, I always recommend that book too. So let's move on because I need you to explain super nove to me yep. again. <laughs> and let's talk a little bit about cosmology. I personally haven't written about cosmology in a long time. I, the last time was when I interviewed Kip Thorne. Oh, kept, he dro- kept dropping cosmology on me. <laughs> and uh, after that, there's no, there's no, nothing to be done after talking to Kip Thorne. Yeah. Um, no. I went right back into rocket launches, but um, I'm glad to have you on the show today. Maybe you could bring us up to speed on what's up with the field nowadays and why are you interested in studying it? Sure. It's <laughs> going after Kip Thorne. Is I know. It's I'm a sorry. Bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but yeah, I, so I fell in love with cosmology when I learned about the composition of the universe and learned that we really only know 4%, 4 to 5% of all matter in the universe. Everything else is dark matter and dark energy. It's this, you know, 
invisible. And when you say dark, do you mean we don't know what it is? So it's it's funny because dark actually has two meanings in this uh-huh. sense. It is both invisible in that it mm. doesn't emit light. And mm-hmm. it's also this nebulous sort of thing that we don't really know what to call it. So we just well, call it dark. that's terrifying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very strange, but it's exciting for scientists like me who mm-hmm. want to explore and say, wow, there is 95% of the universe that we get to try to figure out. So I was really enchanted by this idea. And my- it's really a frontier. Yeah. That's yeah. a really cool thing. Yeah. It is it is really this, you know, vast unknown that we try to probe and try to use tools to better understand. And supernova are some of those tools. So these supernova are exploding stars and historically in 1987 we found by using type 1A supernova, which is just a fancy word for a particular type of exploding star that mm-hmm. actually needs two stars to ignite the explosion. So it's a binary system. Okay. We used those stars to determine that the universe was not just expanding, but there was an invisible force accelerating that expansion over time. And that is just mind-blowing when you sit and think I about mean, it. I mean, when you say a force, that means we don't know what that is. And I'm continually getting more scared. Yeah. This is why I stopped with cosmology. Now that I remember, this yeah. is why. Because yeah, it's, no, it's, it's an abyss. And <laughs> it, it is really terrifying to me that the more you learn about the universe and where our planet is and where our galaxy is. and there's really, like you said, there's this 95% number right? or where it's like, well, we don't really know what this is. Right. And there's a whole field of study where people are pursuing these answers. Now right. you go, you see Berkeley, one of the top schools in the world. Can you give yeah. me any answers right now? <laughs> I have no idea. I have absolutely no so idea. So you're, yeah, that's how you know that. That's the sign of a real scientist. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have no shame in admitting that I don't know. But that's, you know, that's that's why people devote their lives to right. trying to understand these questions and learn more about them. So, you know, my goal is to use a a different type of supernova to actually try to better understand how fast the universe is expanding. That's incredible. And so we've all heard, I mean, I think in science class, the science teacher says the universe is expanding, period, and they don't elaborate, right? Right, right. So if you were going to explain to me, how do we know that the universe is expanding? How would you explain that? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So I think it's, difficult to conceptualize something so abstract Mm. because we don't, the universe isn't sitting between two things. It's occupying all space at all time. So to say that it's expanding, I think the natural question is, well, what is it expanding into? And the uncomfortable answer is that it's not expanding into anything. It's just that the space between things within the universe Mm -hmm. is getting larger with time. Oh, okay. 
And we know that by using tools like Supernova. So Mm -hmm. for example, the way, and to answer your question, the way that they figured out that dark energy was even a thing is by looking at the brightness of exploding stars. And those stars were supposed to be, you know, let's say a brightness of 100. Mm -hmm. But it turns out they were actually a brightness of 80. And even with the expansion of the universe factored in, they were still too dim. And so what we found is the farther out we go, the dimmer those supernova are than we would have expected. And that is because the universe is expanding faster and faster and faster the farther out you go. It's expanding with time. The more you know. (laughs) And when we're talking on the scale beyond galaxies, right? We're talking about the edge of the universe. We don't, you're right to say it's like, well, if the universe is expanding, like what is outside of the universe? And I, I don't want you to answer that. I want to say it to me. Right. (laughs) It's fascinating to me because we know so little about like everything (laughs) that, you know, I, we are with our science able to make some determinations based on what we can observe. And the fact that humans can make a determination that the universe, something that's so exponentially bigger than our us and our lives, we Mm -hmm. do see some, some way of how it moves, how it lives, how it breathes in some form. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, in a sort of profound perspective by studying the universe, we get to reflect on the human condition and what it means to be alive and how to derive meaning from our place in which we live. That is, it's a, it's an incredible thing. And you know, my mind is blown right now, which means it's <laughs> slowing down. I want to, I love, uh, I love having space fans, space professionals. I love having like early career scientists like yourself, but before we get into where you're going, cause I think you're going to space, but before we get there, before we get there, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm yes. going to, I'm going to fire off some topics at you. Oh God. And I just want you to give me your take on them. You don't have to know about them or get, I just love having space fans on the show. I want to know their opinions on everything. So okay. it's not going to be everything. Right. It'll be a few things. Okay. So one, cause you're at Berkeley. So what is your, what are your thoughts on SETI research? I think SETI is awesome. I am super excited to sort of watch what they what they do, what they learn, what they discover. Yeah, SETI's great. Okay, minus your field of study, what is your favorite thing that you love paying attention to in space? Ooh, this is a good question. Like what will what will get your retweet? What will get your share on Instagram? Like what's a cool thing about space that doesn't really involve your field of study, but something that's really awesome that you love? So I think there are two answers. One is space exploration in general. Um, You know, that's, that's tangential to what I do. And obviously something I'm really passionate about. And then in terms of like the field, I, (laughs) there's so many fascinating things. Personally, I'm really interested in interesting types of stars. So there's this there's this type of, of course, it's a supernova. I know I said I do supernova, That's but fine. I don't know anything about this this star. It's called a hypervelocity supernova, and it okay. basically zooms around galaxies because it gets ejected 
from a star cluster or from a binary system. Mm-hmm. And it, it just sort of travels through space really, really, really fast. A star that gets yeeted by its own community out exactly. into the galaxy. Okay. That's right. Yep. That's yep. Insane. I'm pretty sure I, I would be fascinated to by that too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I listened to a talk called The Yeeting Star. Like, oh my I, God. not even kidding. Yeah. That's it was funny. great. I'm going to Google that. <laughs> yeah. 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 You should. They're cool. There's also like gamma, any sort of high energy astrophysics, I think is really interesting. Mm. Gravitational waves, gamma ray bursts, really, really like high energy, lots of light, lots of movement, dynamic things in space, I think are really cool. That's, that's awesome. How far away is the ne- nearest intelligent civilization? <laughs> I love um, asking scientists this question, especially astronomers and stuff. They always, they either get mad or they answer me. Yeah, I, I, my, my first inclination is to laugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, (laughs) I, I'm not putting you on the spot. I think that there is, I I think it is very unlikely that we are the only life in, you know, the entire universe. I think every astronomer would probably say that. Okay, that's a safe answer that most people say. Uh-huh. U- universe. I, I there's life in the universe. No, that's fair. That's fair. And I think you being as close to the subject, I think that that is a scientifically, I think, accurate Sound answer. answer. Yeah. yeah. I think it's safe. Let's say it's safe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The math checks out. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite space movie? And why is it Interstellar? Just kidding. Oh my God. What's your I actual, hate, what's your, I hate <laughs> Interstellar. You hate it. Oh my God. I, we're going to put that it. down. I know. Hot we're making hate. that, we're making that note here. Okay. What's yeah. your favorite space movie? 2001 A Space Odyssey. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is awesome. Now, do, would you say that 2001 had an influence on how you, you know, navigated your career or did it help you? Does pop culture, seeing space in pop culture drive you? Did it give you a push into uh, it? I, do you think I it had any impact on you at all? So, I, yes, I do think it ha- it impacted me. I don't think it impacted my career trajectory in mm. terms of showing me, oh, X person became no. a deputy administrator of NASA. <laughs> right, I want right, to do right, that. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely, you know, in just in terms of the art, the music, the the way that the future, quote unquote, mm. is depicted. Mm-hmm. That is so exciting, and I am, you know, enamored by that. So I remember reading when I was like twelve, reading Ender's Game, and thinking like, "Oh, a spacefaring civilization is so cool." And I read Isaac Asimov as a kid, and mm-hmm. you know, similar types of things where being able to visualize the future. No matter what the future looks like, obviously not dystopian or apocalyptic, but mm-hmm. you know, a positive future gets me excited about pushing the envelope and continuing to progress in science and in space. That's that's really great, and I that's a perfect transition into our next topic, Serafina. You recently completed analog astronaut training in Hawaii. Yes, and one of my close friends, Mary Liz Bender, also went on high seas. Yeah, um, my, fr- my friend Hillary Co did, and as many of yes. you know now, Dr. Cyan Proctor is a veteran from the Analog Astronaut Program, 
and has now been to orbit <laughs> for three days. Yeah, yeah, she which has. Is pretty incredible. Absolutely. There's a science communicator in the astronaut database, which is insane. That's that's amazing. It's really cool. So let's talk about your 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 experience. What what led you to that, first of all? Yeah, I applied for NASA astronaut candidacy. Let's see. Be the last call. So I think it was 2020. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was completing my application and there were many questions asking, you know, why are you qualified for this specific role, you know, as in any job interview or Mm -hmm. application. And, you know, the questions were definitely geared towards what sort of things have you accomplished or skills have you picked up that you've picked up that would make you a good astronaut. And, you know, I can talk about my science all day, Mm -hmm. but in terms of you know, tangible skills that I could take to NASA and say, I think this would make me a good astronaut. I didn't have a lot of those. I had life experiences, but I didn't have things that I really felt like I could be confident and point at. And so I started reading about, you know, astronaut CVs and and learning more about what they do and thinking about what would excite me. What are what are experiences I could have or things I could do that a, I would enjoy, and B, I think might put me on a better path to becoming an astronaut. Okay. And that's when I started learning, okay, well, maybe scuba diving could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, flying in zero gravity, maybe hypoxia training and oxygen deprivation environments, and then mm-hmm. analog astronaut experiences. And so I basically- You did the scuba diving. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, I did all yeah. of those. I uh, this summer basically trained for three months before going to Hawaii for high seas, um, and I did hypoxia training twice a week, where I was basically in this oxygen deprivation room that got you to emulate being at between ten thousand and fourteen thousand feet. So that wow. was really cool. I did serious training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was it was a lot. Um, so I also did my open water scuba certification, um, which was a huge fear of mine. Um, mm-hmm. so that was a really neat experience just in terms of personal growth. And then I was able, uh, very lucky to fly weightless and zero gravity in July. And all of that I think was really cool experiences. And also I felt very physically capable going into my analog astronaut mission. And so I, you know, I had a blast. I think it was so amazing to meet the crew and get to basically to become your family after, after the mission. Um, and that and it's was Hawaii. A, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, and like, there's some, I've saw, I saw some of your photos and, you know, spoken to a couple of people who went on the high seas <laughs> mission. They, the simulation is actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's as close, I feel, as you can replicate here on Earth what it would be like to live on Mars. It is, you know, you wear life support and an EVA suit every time you leave the hub. Mm-hmm. You have rationed food and water. You don't shower. You have a Martian time delay for all communications. You, you know, you are living as though you're on another planet. You're working. You're doing research as though you're on another planet. And for me, I think, A, yes, it was cool training, but it was also really important to see, is this something I enjoy? Is this something mm-hmm. I would actually want to do for real in the future? Right. And I, I'm really happy to say, yes, I loved it. 
And I feel like I grew as a, you know, as a person, as a researcher, and just as a teammate and being able to hopefully transfer those skills in the future. That's amazing. And I hope to be making a Serafina Nance ADB profile <laughs> uh, in a few years. Um, Fingers crossed. <laughs> let's talk about that. Obviously, there's a lot of commercial options right now. There's Virgin Galactic, there's Blue Origin. Something tells me they're not going further enough, far enough for you. Would you fly on Dragon to orbit? Uh, would you, like what, I mean, is Mars your goal? I wouldn't say it's the goal. It is mm-hmm. a goal. So you would go to Mars and five or 10 years if that was an opportunity for you. Yes, absolutely. And I'm guessing if you would go to Mars, you would say yes to the moon as well. A hundred percent. Yes. And I think that's probably more feasible. That is definitely, I mean, I think once we break the seal of landing humans on the moon, I think the Mars will be close behind. Yeah. Yep. So I'm guessing you're keeping, you applied for, you entered the contest for inspiration for. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I entered the contest. I obviously didn't get it, but really, really happy for Dr. Proctor and for the entire crew. There's going to be a million more opportunities like that. Yeah, um, I think I I definitely think that Jared was absolutely right in saying he's, you know, broken the seal or whatever he yeah, said in yeah, terms yeah. of what what comes next, and right. I'm really excited to see to see what follows. Now, what are some, you know, someone in your position, your, your career is blossoming, you're aiming to become an astronaut. What advice do you have for young folks listening to this podcast who see themselves in you and want to follow a similar path of, you know, studying science, studying astronomy, uh, going to a good school and reaching high, wanting to be an astronaut, wanting to do all these amazing things? What would you tell someone who's younger than us, who, who wants to potentially go on that path? I think my first piece of advice would be to find what you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be either astronomy or what everybody else thinks you should do. You get to decide, you get to find something that really calls to you. I would encourage everybody to spend the time, the energy to learn what that is and learn about themselves. And then you know, no matter what it is, nobody can tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not built for something or meant to do something. Only you can really decide that. And so I would encourage everybody to believe in themselves, which is something I am learning to do as well. That's a really important part that isn't said enough. You really do have to start with confidence in yourself and your ability. Yeah. 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 I think so much of this is a personal journey as much as it is a professional one. And I think that I encourage everybody to, to lead with that and to, you know, find what you're passionate about, learn to believe in yourself and, and honestly, fuck what everybody else says. Yeah, like they don't yeah. get to decide what you want to do. Nobody does, but you. Thank you for saying that. Because yeah. when I say it, I get in trouble. Fuck what people say about you. That is the mantra of Supercluster and of Robin and now Serafina. Thank you for saying it. I really appreciate that. That's the first time I've said that. That's the note I want to end this podcast on. Um, It's perfect. Serafina, thank you so much for everything that you do. You're such a big part of our community. And I've been seeing all your, your 
your images from high seas and all the amazing stuff you're doing for people of color. We're both brown, so I appreciate you existing. Yeah. And, uh, I appreciate you, Robin. Thank and you. And I love hearing your story. I love seeing you all over social media. Thank, Thank you. you for being on our show. I hope to have you back on in the future. Absolutely. I had so much fun and I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you. And I'm going to hold you to adding a Serafina astronaut yeah. database profile yes. at some point in the near future. Deal. We're going to make this happen. I, I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Means a lot. All right. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Sorry about the F-bomb, but you knew it was coming. <laughs>